Day one of Totus Tuus's Novena for the Church in Europe, with quotes from Blessed John Paul II's Apostolic Exhortation, Ecclesia in Europa. Jesus Christ is our hope. Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. At a time of persecution, tribulation and bewilderment for the Church, the message resounding throughout the vision of the writer of the book of Revelation is a message of hope. Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive for evermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. We thus find ourselves before the gospel, the good news, that is Jesus Christ himself. He is the first and the last. In him all history finds its beginning, its meaning, its direction and its fulfillment. In him and with him, in his death and resurrection, everything has already been said. He is the living one. Once he was dead, yet now he lives forever. He is the Lamb, standing before the throne of God, sacrificed because he shed his blood for us on the wood of the cross. He is standing because he has come back to unending life and has shown us the infinite power of the Father's love. He holds in his hands the seven stars, the persecuted church of God, which struggles against evil and sin, yet nonetheless has every right to be joyful and victorious, since she is in the hands of the one who has already triumphed over evil. He walks among the seven golden lampstands, for he is present and active in his church at prayer. He is also the one who comes. Thanks to the church's mission and the activity throughout human history, he will come as the eschatological reaper at the end of time, in order to bring all things to completion. This message is also addressed today to the churches in Europe, often tempted by a dimming of hope. The age we are living in, with its own particular challenges, can seem to be a time of bewilderment. Many men and women seem disorientated, uncertain, without hope, and not a few Christians share these feelings. There are many troubling signs which at the beginning of the third millennium are clouding the horizon of the European continent, which, despite great signs of faith and witness, and an atmosphere undoubtedly more free and unified, feels all the weariness which historical events, recent and past, have brought about deep within the hearts of its peoples, often causing disappointment. Among the aspects of this situation, I would like to mention in a particular way the loss of Europe's Christian memory and heritage, accompanied by a kind of practical agnosticism and religious indifference, whereby many Europeans give the impression of living without spiritual roots, and somewhat like heirs who have squandered a patrimony 
entrusted to them by history. It is no real surprise, then, that there are efforts to create a vision of Europe which ignore its religious heritage, and in particular its profound Christian soul, asserting the rights of the peoples who make up Europe without grafting those rights onto the trunk which is enlivened by the sap of Christianity. Certainly Europe is not lacking in prestigious symbols of the Christian presence, yet with a slow and steady advance of secularism, these symbols risk becoming a mere vestige of the past. Many people are no longer able to integrate the gospel message into their daily experience. Living one's faith in Jesus becomes increasingly difficult in a social and cultural setting in which that faith is constantly challenged and threatened. In many social settings it is easier to be identified as an agnostic than a believer. The impression is given that unbelief is self-explanatory, whereas belief needs a sort of social legitimization which is neither obvious nor taken for granted. This loss of Christian memory is accompanied by a kind of fear of the future. Tomorrow is often presented as something bleak and uncertain. The future is viewed more with dread than with desire. Among the troubling indications of this are the inner emptiness that grips many people and the loss of meaning in life. The signs and fruits of this existential anguish include, in particular, the diminishing number of births, the decline in the number of vocations to the priesthood and religious life, and the difficulty, if not the outright refusal, to make lifelong commitments, including marriage. We find ourselves before a widespread existential fragmentation. A feeling of loneliness is prevalent. Divisions and conflicts are on the rise. Among other symptoms of this state of affairs, Europe is presently witnessing the grave phenomenon of family crises and the weakening of the very concept of the family, the continuation or resurfacing of ethnic conflicts, the re-emergence of racism, interreligious tensions, a selfishness that closes individuals and groups in upon themselves, a growing overall lack of concern for ethics, and an obsessive concern for personal interests and privileges. To many observers, the current process of globalization, rather than leading towards the greater unity of the human race, risks being dominated by an approach that would marginalize the less powerful and increase the number of poor in the world. In connection with the spread of individualism, we see an increased weakening of interpersonal solidarity. While charitable institutions continue to carry out praiseworthy work, one notes a decline in the sense of solidarity, with the result that many people, while not lacking material necessities, feel increasingly alone, left to themselves without structures of affection and support. At the root of this loss of hope, is an attempt to promote a vision of man apart from God and apart from Christ. This sort of thinking has led to man being considered as the absolute centre of reality, 
a view which makes him occupy falsely the place of God, and which forgets that it is not man who creates God, but rather God who creates man. Forgetfulness of God led to the abandonment of man. It is therefore no wonder that in this context a vast field has opened for the unrestrained development of nihilism in philosophy, of relativism in values and morality, and of pragmatism, and even a cynical hedonism in daily life. European culture gives the impression of silent apostasy on the part of people who have all that they need and who live as if God does not exist. This is the context for those attempts, including the most recent ones, to present European culture with no reference to the contribution of the Christian religion which marked its historical development and its universal diffusion. We are witnessing the emergence of a new culture, largely influenced by the mass media, whose content and character are often in conflict with the gospel and the dignity of the human person. This culture is also marked by a widespread and growing religious agnosticism, connected to a more profound moral and legal relativism, rooted in confusion regarding the truth about man, as the basis of the inalienable rights of all human beings. At times, the signs of a weakening of hope are evident in disturbing forms of what might be called a culture of death. Yet, man cannot live without hope. Life would become meaningless and unbearable. Often those in need of hope believe that they can find peace in fleeting and insubstantial ways. In this way, hope, restricted to this world and closed to transcendence, is identified, for example, with the paradise promised by science or technology, with various forms of messianism, with a hedonistic natural felicity brought about by consumerism, or with the imaginary and artificial euphoria produced by drugs, with certain forms of millenarianism, with the attraction of oriental philosophies, with the quest for forms of esoteric spirituality, and with the different currents of the New Age movement. All these, however, show themselves profoundly illusory and incapable of satisfying that yearning for happiness which the human heart continues to harbour. The disturbing signs of growing hopelessness thus continue and intensify, occasionally manifesting themselves also in forms of aggression and violence. No human being can live without looking towards the future. How much more so the Church, which lives in expectation of the kingdom yet to come and already present in this world. It would be unjust not to acknowledge the signs of the influence of Christ's gospel in the life of societies. These signs must include the recovery of freedom of the Church in Eastern Europe, with its new possibilities for pastoral activity, the concentration of the Church on her spiritual mission and her primary commitment to evangelization, also with regard for social and political realities, the growing missionary awareness
on the part of all the baptized in the variety and complementarity of their gifts and their tasks, and the increased presence of women in the life and structures of the Christian community. If we look at Europe as a civil community, signs of hope are not lacking. When we consider these signs with the eyes of faith, we can perceive, even amid the contradictions of history, the presence of the Spirit of God, who renews the face of the earth. At the conclusion of their labours, the Synod Fathers described these signs in the following way. We joyfully recognise the growing openness of peoples to one another, the reconciliation between countries which have been hostile and at enmity with each other for a long time, the progressive opening up to the countries of Eastern Europe in the process of seeking deeper unity, mutual recognition, forms of cooperation and exchange of all sorts are being developed in such a way that little by little a culture, indeed a European consciousness, is being created. This, we hope, will encourage, especially among the young, a sense of fraternity and the will to share. We note as a very positive factor that the whole of this process is developing according to democratic procedures, in a peaceful way, and in the spirit of freedom which respects and fosters legitimate diversity, encouraging and sustaining the process leading to the growing unity of Europe. We welcome with satisfaction all that has been done to safeguard the conditions and ways to respect human rights. Finally, in the context of the legitimate economic and political unity in Europe, while acknowledging the signs of hope seen by the attention given to the rights and to the quality of life, we sincerely hope that, in creative fidelity to the humanist and Christian traditions of our continent, there will be a guarantee of the primacy of ethical and spiritual values. I intend, however, to draw particular attention to some of the signs which have emerged in the life of the Church herself. In the first place, I want to point out to everyone, so that it will never be forgotten, that great sign of hope represented by the many witnesses to the Christian faith who lived in the last century in both East and West. They found suitable ways to proclaim the gospel amid situations of hostility and persecution, often even making the supreme sacrifice by shedding their blood. These witnesses, and particularly those who suffered martyrdom, are an eloquent and magnificent sign which we are called to contemplate and to imitate. They show us the vitality of the Church. They stand before us as a light for the Church and for humanity, because they cause the light of Christ to shine in the darkness. To the extent that they came from different religious traditions, they also shine forth as a sign of hope for the journey of ecumenism, in the certainty that their blood is also a vital source of unity for the Church. Even more radically, they tell us that martyrdom is the supreme incarnation of the gospel of hope. In this way, martyrs proclaim the gospel of hope and bear witness to it with their lives to the point of shedding their blood, because they are certain that they cannot live without Christ and are ready to die for him in the conviction that Jesus is the Lord and the Saviour of humanity, 
and that, therefore, only in him does mankind find true fullness of life. According to the exhortation of the Apostle Peter, their example shows them ready to give reason for the hope that is in them. Furthermore, martyrs celebrate the gospel of hope, because the offering of their lives is the greatest manifestation of the living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which constitutes true spiritual worship, and the source, soul and summit of every Christian celebration. Finally, martyrs serve the gospel of hope because they express in their martyrdom a love and service of humanity to a high degree insofar as they demonstrate that obedience to the law of the gospel begets a moral and societal life which honours and promotes the dignity and freedom of every person. One fruit of the conversion brought about by the gospel is the holiness of so many men and women in our time, not only those whom the Church has officially proclaimed saints, but all those who, with simplicity, and amid the circumstances of their daily lives, testify to their fidelity to Christ. How can one not think of the countless sons and daughters of the Church, who throughout Europe's history have lived lives of generous and authentic holiness, in the hiddenness of their family, and their professional and social lives. All of them, like living stones, adhering to Christ, the cornerstone, have built Europe as a spiritual and moral edifice, leaving a most precious inheritance to the future generations. The Lord Jesus promised, He who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. The saints are living proof of the fulfilment of this promise, and they encourage the belief that this is possible in the most difficult hours of history. The Gospel continues to bear fruit in parish communities, among consecrated people, in lay associations, in groups devoted to prayer and the apostolate, and in various youth communities, as well as through the presence and growth of new movements and ecclesial realities. In each of them, the one spirit finds ways of awakening renewed dedication to the gospel, generous openness to the service of others, and a Christian life marked by gospel radicalism and missionary zeal. In today's Europe, too, both in the post-communist countries and in the West, the parish while in need of constant renewal, continues to maintain and carry out its particular mission, which is indispensable and of great relevance for pastoral care and the life of the Church. The parish is still a setting where the faithful are offered opportunities for genuine Christian living, and a place for authentic human interaction and socialization, whether in the situations of dispersion and anonymity typical of large modern cities or in areas which are rural and sparsely populated. At the same time, I express my great esteem for the presence and activity of the different apostolic associations and organizations, and for Catholic action in particular. I also wish to note the significant contribution that, in fellowship with other ecclesial realities 
and never in isolation from them. They can offer to new movements and to new ecclesial communities. Such groups, in fact, help Christians to live a more radically evangelical life. They are a cradle for different vocations, and they generate new forms of consecration. Above all, they promote the vocation of the laity, and they help it to find expression in different spheres of life. They favor the holiness of people. They are able to be both the messenger and the message for people who otherwise would not encounter the church. Frequently they promote the journey of ecumenism, and they open the ways to interreligious dialogue. They are an antidote to the spread of sects, and an invaluable aid to the spread of joy and life in the Church. We give thanks to the Lord for the great and consoling sign of hope, which is the progress made in the journey of ecumenism, under the standard of truth, charity and reconciliation. This is one of the great gifts of the Holy Spirit, for a continent like Europe which gave rise to tragic divisions between Christians during the second millennium, and which still suffers from their consequences. I am moved as I remember certain moments of great intensity during the synodal labours, and the unanimous conviction, also expressed by the fraternal delegates, that this journey, despite the problems which remain and the new ones which are emerging, cannot be halted but rather must continue with renewed enthusiasm, with deeper determination, and with a humble openness to mutual forgiveness on the part of all. I readily agree with some of the observations made by the Synod Fathers, since the progress in ecumenical dialogue, which has its deepest source in the same word of God, represents a sign of great hope for the Church of today. The growth of unity among Christians is, in fact, mutually enriching for all. We need to look with joy at the progress that has so far been made in the dialogue both with our brethren of the Orthodox churches and with those of the ecclesial communities born of the Reformation, recognizing in them a sign of the working of the Spirit, for which we must praise and thank the Lord. Let us pray. Mary, Mother of Hope, walk with us. Teach us to proclaim the living God. Help us to witness to Jesus, the only Saviour. Make us helpful towards our neighbours, welcoming to the needy, workers for justice, impassioned builders of a more just world. Intercede for us as we carry out our work in history certain that the Father's plan will be accomplished. Dawn of a new world, show yourself, Mother of Hope, and watch over us. Watch over the Church in Europe, that she may be transparent to the Gospel, that she may be an authentic place of communion, living out her mission of announcing, celebrating and serving the Gospel of Hope for the peace and joy of everyone. Queen of Peace, protect humanity in the third millennium. Watch over all Christians. May they advance confidently on the path of unity as a leaven for the harmony of the continent. Watch over young people 
the hope of the future. May they respond generously to the call of Jesus. Watch over the leaders of nations. May they be committed to building a common home in which the dignity and rights of every person are respected. Mary, give us Jesus. Help us to follow him and to love him. He is the hope of the Church, of Europe and of all humanity. He lives with us, in our midst, in his Church. With you we say, Come, Lord Jesus. May the hope of glory which he has poured into our hearts bear fruits of justice and peace. Amen. Saint Benedict, pray for us. Saint Bridget of Sweden, pray for us. Saint Catherine of Siena, pray for us. Saint Cyril and Methodius, pray for us. Saint Teresa Benedicta of the Cross, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.